You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. God bless you, ladies. Let's turn our cell phones on silent as we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Not 2 Chronicles. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. New Testament. We'll go ahead and pray now as you are searching there. Lord, we need you. And we are so thankful that in many of our cases we can look back at the day you came into our life and you saved us. If there are some here who do not know that they are going to heaven when they die, please save them, convict them of their need of a Savior through the message this morning. If you can use it, Lord, please use it to be an encouragement to bring people to you and then closer to you. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Please take it all for yourself. Amen. We'll start in verse 1. Therefore, stop, we ha- remember, whenever you read therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. The great thing is, this verse tells us right away what the therefore is there for. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's talking about the ministry of sharing the gospel with other people. So because we have the ministry of sharing the gospel to other people, he says this, we faint Not, but I missed something. I skipped something. We only faint not as we have received mercy. It's very important. He's setting up his argument for the rest of the chapter here. He's going to start making this huge contrast comparison between us and the ministry of the gospel. The only reason we are able to share the gospel with others The only reason we don't faint in that ministry is because God is merciful to us. And then he goes and he starts explaining a little more. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. We're not trying to trick anybody, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Our ministry is not trying to convince people that the Bible says something that it doesn't say. We just want to say what the Bible says. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Notice this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It's hid to the people who need it the most. In whom the God of this world, notice not capitalized G, but little G, it's talking about Satan. In whom Satan hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest or unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he's calling back to Genesis. Remember how God said, let there be light, and there was light? He's shining another light today. Not the light of the sun, S-U-N, but the light of the sun, S-O-N. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. 
Calling back to verse 4. Remember, the, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Well, God has shined in your heart if you are saved. If you are saved, you can say the light has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I want to take the next few weeks, possibly the next few months on Sunday morning to address a concern that I have, a concern that I have with many of you personally, some from what I have observed and some from what I've heard from your own lips. We've already prayed. You may be seated. I keep hearing a word. I have heard one word from you more in the last two months than I have heard in the last four years of being pastor. And it's this word, unworthy. I keep hearing that word. I am unworthy. I'm unworthy of that. I'm unworthy of what God has done. Unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. I hate that word as much as I love that word. I am concerned about that word as much as I am encouraged by that word. I, I love that word, unworthy, because once you start saying that, once you start seeing that about yourself, you have taken the first step to understanding one of the most wonderful truths in Scripture. I hate that word because if you stop at that word, you will begin to believe one of the most horrible lies that Scripture has nothing to back up. Let me say this to begin with. At, at the start of this series, you are unworthy. Do you understand that? You are unworthy. You are unworthy of anything that God could ever do for you. You are unworthy of anything that God could ever do to you. You are unworthy of anything that God could ever do with you. No sinner can claim that they are worthy to even be slapped in the face by a holy God. You are unworthy. But just because you are unworthy to receive anything from God doesn't mean that he doesn't want to give things to you. Do I need to say that again? Just because you are unworthy to receive anything from God doesn't mean that he doesn't want to give things to you. You are unworthy to be an usher at Heritage Baptist Church. But just because you are unworthy doesn't mean God doesn't want you to be an usher. You are unworthy to serve the Lord. But just because you're unworthy to serve the Lord doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't want you to serve him. I am going to beat this like a dead horse. You are unworthy to work in the nursery. But just because you are unworthy to work in the nursery doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to work in the nursery. You are un I am unworthy to be a preacher. But just because I am unworthy to be a preacher doesn't mean that God doesn't want me to be a preacher. We can go on. You are unworthy to worship the King of Kings, to come into his presence. You are unworthy to do that. But just because you are unworthy to worship him doesn't mean he doesn't want you to worship him. You are unworthy to have a second chance. 
Oh yeah, you are. You are very unworthy to have a second chance. Those of you who are on your third chance, you're definitely unworthy of having a third chance. Some of you are on your fourth. You are unworthy to have a fourth chance. Some of you, you know, Jesus talked at one point to Peter, and Peter said, how often should I forgive my brother? And he says, if he seven times in one day asks you for forgiveness, and he truly repents, you forgive that person. Some of you are, and, and, and he said this, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Some of you are on your 489th chance, and you are completely unworthy of that, are you not? Stop, stop, guess what? You are unworthy of your first chance too. Why do we think we were worthy of our first chance, but not the second? You are just as unworthy for your first chance with God as you were for your second or your 2002nd. You are unworthy. Some of you, some of you said, some of you said this this morning. I'm unworthy. Many of you have said this recently, or you've thought this recently. But all of us have thought this at some point. All of us have said this. God would never fill in the blank to me. I'm not worthy of that. God could never use me fill in the blank. I'm not worthy of that. Every single one of you has thought that. God could never do this for me because I've done that to him. We have all been there. I feel so unworthy of that. You are on your way to understanding one of the most wonderful truths in Scripture. You're on your way. It is God that brings you to understand that you are unworthy. It is Satan that convinces you that because you are unworthy, you're worth nothing. Being unworthy is far different than being worth nothing. Just because you are unworthy doesn't mean you are worth nothing to God. And you need to understand that. Just because you are unworthy does not mean you are worth nothing to God. Just because you're past doesn't mean God doesn't have a future for you. Just because you did something against him doesn't mean that he doesn't have something for you. Well, I don't deserve that. Exactly. You're on your way. But the devil is going to convince you to stop at I am unworthy. Jesus wants you to continue. You are unworthy. But for however long it takes, because the devil, somehow he hasn't convinced you all to stay out of church. You're here. Has he not tried to convince you to stay out of church? Has he not tried to drag your soul to hell? If you are saved, he can't take you to hell. He tries to bring hell to you, and he has tried to convince you to stay out of church. You haven't listened. You're here in church. So what's his next best thing? He's not going to give up on you. Fine, I'll let you go to church, but I will make you feel so worthless that you will believe that the best you can do is just fill up a seat. If he can't take you to hell, he'll bring hell to you. If he can't bring hell to you, he'll let you go to church, but the most that he will let you do is just sit there. 
and do nothing, convincing you that you can't do anything because you're unworthy. So I am gonna take as long as it takes until every single person in this room understands you are unworthy, but that doesn't mean you are not worth anything to Jesus Christ. Are you alive? Can you breathe? Do this for me. Great, you qualify. You qualify to be used of the Lord. Oh, but you don't know what I did. Where did I lose you? Where did I lose you? You are qualified to be used of the Lord, but you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. And I don't need to. I'm not your Catholic priest. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you don't have to come up and confess to me? Because you know what you'd have to do, Miss Annalisa? You have to do, all right, Brother Johnny, you first. I'm a sinner too, people. I'm unworthy too. We are all unworthy. And I'm sick and tired of the devil convincing unworthy people that they're worth nothing. You're on your way to a great truth. Let me show you from the scriptures what God can do with unworthy people. It, it, for the devil to say you are unworthy, which means you're worth nothing, sir. You are unworthy, which means you're worth nothing, ma'am. That is not what I see in scripture. What I see in the scriptures that we just read is, first of all, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Do you see anywhere in the verses that we just read where he says, uh, unless you've done this? No, he says, if our gospel, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Somebody needs to shine the light of the gospel to them, and he's looking at you. God wants to use you. Now, before he can use you, he has to fill you, right? Before he can use you, he has to fill you. Before you can spread the gospel, he has to shine the light of the gospel to you. And that's what it says in verse six. He has shined. He has shined to give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that we can find the lost and shine to them. So he wants to use you, is what I see. Before he can use you, he wants to fill you. Before he can fill you, he has to save you, right? He wants, he wants to save you. And he has shined in our hearts, not in your minds, not in your minds. Some of you have the gospel in your mind. You don't have it in your heart. He is going to shine in your heart. And you tell me, Satan, that the Lord would save me and not use me. No, God's argument here is I saved you so that I could fill you, so that I could use you. Oh, but I'm unworthy of that. Were you worthy to be saved? Were you worthy to be saved? Were you worthy of God coming to you and say, I'll forgive you of all that you have done against me. Were you worthy of that? So if you weren't worthy to be saved, that means you're not worthy to be filled, and that certainly means you're not worthy to be used. So if the devil could not convince you, uh, can't convince you, you're unworthy to, save you, to, to be saved, the Lord won't save you. If he can't convince you of that, he'll convince you you're unworthy to be filled. If he can't convince you of that, He'll try to convince you that you're unworthy to be used. It's the same tactic all throughout. But what I see in Scripture is being a sinner does not exclude you from being saved. In fact, being a sinner is what makes you eligible to be saved. And therefore, I'm not saying we continue in sin, 
But when the devil comes up and says, oh, God would never use you because you did this. Wait a second. If God would never use you because you did that, he never would have saved you in the first place. He wants to save. He wants to fill so that he can use. But we run into a problem. He wants to save us by the gospel so that he can fill us with the gospel so that we can share the gospel, right? Yeah. But, and it, and it appears to be a big problem when you read the first part of chapter 7, or uh, verse 7, sorry. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That seems to be a problem There's this stunning contrast that Paul brings out. And if let's read verse 6 going into verse 7. Notice how he builds and builds and builds. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our heart. He saved you to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels. And he brings out this contrast between two elements in this verse. You have element number one, which is the gospel. And you have element number two, which is us. Element number one being the gospel, he compares to a treasure. And what a treasure it is, right? The gospel, are you just saying that? Or do you understand that the gospel is a treasure? It is more more valuable than any treasure that you could ever find in this world. Do you believe that? Yeah. Let, me, let me help you to believe that. If you, found, if you had water and you found somebody who was wandering in the wilderness, would that water not be a treasure to that wandering soul? To that thirsting person and you had water, they're about to die of thirst and you come up with water, would that not be a treasure to them? Go up to that dying person who's dying of thirst and say, okay, I'm giving you a choice. Water or all the gold in the world? What is he going to choose? Water. I don't care about the stupid gold right now. I'm dying of thirst. We have an, we have a, uh, an illustration of this. If you have food and you find somebody who's starving and they're about to die, and you come up with food and you give them a choice. I either give you this food or all the gold in the world. I don't have time to spend it. I'm about to die. Give me the food. What did Esau do? He thought he was about to die. And he saw a bowl of soup. Bean soup. Not even good soup. Lentil soup. And he said, I'm at the point of dying. What good is my birthright to me? He gives away his earthly birthright to have a bowl of soup because at that point, it was more valuable to him because that is what he needed. If you find somebody who's on their deathbed and you walk up with the cure, you have one minute to live. What do you want? All the gold in the world or the cure to your illness? What is he going to say? The cure to his illness is the treasure at that point. If you find somebody who's about to be executed, by electric chair, and somebody walks up with a pardon. You have the choice, all the gold in the world or pardon? What is he gonna say? Pardon, what in the world does all, what in the world does all the gold in the world mean to me when he's about to flip the switch? Get me out of this situation. The 
As water is a treasure to the thirsty, as food is treasure to the hungry, as pardon is treasure to the guilty, the gospel is a treasure to those who are damned and on their way to hell. You know what Jesus says? What profit? What doth it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You can have the world. I want the gospel. Amen. I don't care about having all the money in the world. I read in Luke chapter 16 about a man who had a lot of money and burned in hell for eternity. And I learned about another man who had none of that stuff, but he had the gospel, and so he went to heaven. I want the gospel. It is a treasure, a treasure far beyond anything. But, but... We have this glorious, beautiful, valuable treasure in element number two. Us. We're unworthy of that. We're unworthy of that. The gospel is a treasure. We are earthen vessels. Cheap, fragile Clay pots. What is worthy to contain the Mona Lisa? The storage container down the street? No. A storage container is not worthy to contain the Mona Lisa. Where do you put it? In the Louvre. Right? The Louvre is worthy to hold such a treasure. What is, worth, what, what is worthy to hold the founding documents of the United States of America? Some filing cabinet in somebody's basement? No. You don't put something that valuable in a filing cabinet in somebody's basement. You put it in the National Archives. And that's where you keep it because that is worthy of it. Where do you keep the Hope Diamond? You put it in the Smithsonian. You don't put it in some cardboard box in an attic. The cardboard box isn't worthy of that. So when we hear... God wants to take a treasure that is far more valuable than the Hope Diamond, far more valuable than our founding documents, far more valuable than the Mona Lisa, and he wants to take that gospel and use it to save you and fill you so that he can use you. We run into a problem. Because if we wouldn't put the Mona Lisa in a storage cabinet and we wouldn't put the Hope Diamond in a cardboard box, why is God going to put the gospel in us? And it seems to be a problem. And we think we're not worthy of that. God could never save me. You know why? Because I'm a murderer. I've heard that before. God could never save me. I'm a soldier. I've taken the lives of somebody else. God could never save me. I've heard God could never save me. I've aborted my child. I've heard God could never fill me. I've abused others. God could never use me. I've been abused. 
God could never save, fill, or use. You just, God could never apply the gospel to me in any way he wants to, whether the saving or the filling or the using. God could never do that to me. I'm addicted. Or I was addicted. I have scars all over my body to prove my addiction. God could never use me in that way. God could never fill in the blank. I cut myself. I've had young girls raise up their sleeves. How could God use this? I do this every day. How could God use this? God could never use me. I'm divorced. You know how many, you know how many people have come here and they've been divorced and they said, I got divorced and my last church treated me like I was the redheaded stepchild because I got divorced. Church, I'm not an advocate for divorce. I don't, like divor- I don't like divorce. God hates divorce. But God help us as sinners if we're gonna judge another sinner because they don't sin the way that we sinned. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. God could never use me. I'm divorced. God could never use me. I'm just rough. I'm a rough person. God could never use me, I'm uneducated. God could never use me, I'm depressed. Always struggled with depression. Always struggled with anxiety. God could never use me, I'm immoral. I've been immoral. I have a very immoral past. God could never use me, I've committed adultery. God can never use me, I'm a sick person. God can never use me, I've made so many mistakes. I am unworthy. I've run from God, God can never use me. And maybe you say, I can understand how other people who have maybe been in church that made mistakes, the Lord could use them, but I've run from him. I've literally run from him and I became a drunk. I became, I chose drugs. I chose alcohol. I chose immorality. I chose all of that knowing better and I did it anyway. And you're gonna tell me God can use me and God wants to save me and fill me and use me. I'm a blasphemer. I've got tattoos all over my body. I'm so unworthy. Do you want to hear my message in one sentence? You are unworthy, but you're not unwanted. The devil will come and say, you are unworthy. Jesus says the same thing. You are unworthy, but you're not unwanted. The devil will never tell you that. He'll just say, you're unworthy, 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 unworthy. And he'll put a period where a comma belongs. Some of you are absolutely paralyzed in your life for Christ because the devil has put a period where Jesus would put a comma. You are unworthy, but you are not unwanted. God still wants to save you. He still wants to fill you. He still wants to use you. Let me put it this way, and you're going to have to wrap your mind around it. Are you ready? So first of all, you could say it this way. You are unworthy, but God still wants to use you. Here's another way I can put it, and it's a little deeper. You are unworthy. That's why God wants to save you. You are unworthy. That's why God wants to fill you. That's why God wants to use you. Read all of verse 7. Read all of verse 7. But... 
we have this treasure in earthen vessels for a purpose, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Look, you are unworthy. That's why God wants to save you. That's why he wants to fill you. That's why he wants to use you. I can put it this way. You are unworthy. That's why God calls it grace. Or we can put it this way, the same reasons that the devil says you can't be saved and you can't be filled and you can't be used are the reasons why God still wants to save you and still wants to fill you and still wants to use you. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Can I illustrate? If you give me the best kitchen in this world and you give me the best ingredients, I will make you a fantastic meal. I have the best kitchen, I have the best ingredients, and give me all the time in the world. You know, there's a man named Gordon Ramsay. He's an incredible professional cook. You know who he is? He's got a mouth, but he's got some skill. Do you know why he's a better chef than I am? I can take the best ingredients and all the time in the world and the best kitchen and I can make you something great. You give that man the meanest tools. You give him a rinky-dink kitchen, some pots and pans from Dollar Tree or wherever, and the worst ingredients out there. And you know what that man's going to do? He's still going to make you something amazing. You fit me for golf clubs, and you give me time, and you give me about 25 mulligans, and I will be able to give you a great golf round. But you take Tiger Woods, and you give him some Walmart, some Walmart golf balls and some Walmart golf clubs, and guess what that man's going to do? He is still going to shine in his field. An expert shows his expertise by making something great out of nothing. That is where the skill is proved. So, God leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. I'm not meaning this to be blasphemous. Stick with me. Big what? Big what? God spoke the worlds into being. How difficult it is, is it to lead the Israelites? That's a, that's a layup, people. Lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. Wait, by the hand of Moses? You know what Moses did, right? Moses was a murderer. Moses couldn't speak. Okay, so God leads the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. By the hand of Moses. Woo! Three cheers for our God who can do something so incredible with Moses. Are we getting it now? Are we getting it now? Write the Psalms. For God, that's nothing. Write the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me. By David? Write the Psalms with David. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. Wait, wait, wait. You know what David did, right? He committed adultery. He hid it for nine months at least. He killed the woman's husband. And God used that man to write the Psalms? Nobody can look at the Psalms and say, oh, 
How incredible is David? No, how unworthy is David? How incredible is our God to use David to write the Psalms? Three cheers for God who can use an adulterer and a murderer to say, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Then will sinners be converted to thee. That's a good story. God is going to bring revival to America and to Europe at the same time. He's going to shake them for God. Using D.L. Moody, an uneducated, didn't go to Bible college, didn't even finish high school preacher who couldn't even say Chicago. He said Chicago. What a God we serve. How excellent is D.L. Moody's power? That wasn't D.L. Moody, people. Any more than it was Moses and any more than it was David. God's going to bring a message of prophecy. He's going to bring a message of prophecy to his people. God can send an angel. God can just appear himself and say, this is what's going to happen. No, he used Jeremiah, a kid. A kid. Read Jeremiah. I can't do that. I'm a child. He said, say not, I'm a child. I will put my words in your mouth. What a God we serve. How about Amos? Amos was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And the Lord used his very backcountry personality. I, I imagine Amos with a, a little bit of, a, of an accent. When he calls the women in Israel, ye kind of Bashan. You know what that means? <laughs> Fat cows. <laughs> the Lord used a shepherd. How about Nehemiah? I'm going to rebuild the walls of Israel. God could have said, let there be a wall. It would have been a beautiful wall, a huge wall, perfect wall. <laughs> God could have said that, but he used Nehemiah, a cupbearer. What a God we serve. Do I need to go on? How about this? I'm going to bring the Messiah to earth. I, okay, he could, have, he could have just floated Jesus down at the age of 30 and landed on the Mount of Olives because that's how, that's how he's going to do it next time. And he, he, he could have just landed and boom, here I am. Not much to write home about. But wait, no, I'm going to use Judah. And Judah is going to have an immoral relationship with his daughter-in-law, that child is going to be in the lineage of Christ. And then that one's going to have a baby, and that one's going to have a baby, and that one's going to have a baby, and then that one is going to give birth to a man named Boaz. And Boaz is going to marry a heathen Gentile. That's the line that I'm going to use to bring the Messiah. Oh, and then Boaz and Ruth are going to have a boy and name him Salmon. Next time you think God can't use you, he used a man named Salmon. And Salmon is going to fall in love with a young lady named Rahab. Rahab is a harlot, a Gentile. 
and I'm going to bring the Messiah through that line. What a God we serve. Don't tell me you're unworthy. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. But don't stop there. Erase the period and put a comma. I am unworthy, but I'm not unwanted. I am unworthy, but I'm not unwanted. Our God is so great. You should see what he can do with a drunk. You should see what he can do with somebody who has tattoos all over their body. You can see what he can do with somebody who's been abused. You should see what he can do with somebody who used to be addicted. You should see what he can do with somebody who's messed up in their past. You, could, you should see what my God can do Amen. with that person. God using you has nothing to do with your ability. It has everything to do with your availability. God, use me whatever you can do. I'm going to feed 5,000. Big whoop. He could have said, let there be food. Now I'm going to use a little boy with five loaves and two fishes. That's what our God can do. God, I don't have much to offer. I have five loaves and two fishes. You should see what our God can do with that. God doesn't need much. He just needs you. Just as you are. Let me say this. Without a sinner, what need is there for a savior? And without sin, what grace does forgiveness possess? Don't be nervous. Lord, grant this man's sight. How do you feel? You can see? Yes. You could see before, you moron. <laughs> you were supposed to say, you did nothing for me. Now, if I went up to Miss Julie and gave sight to Miss Julie, what would that mean to her? Rise up and walk. See, the problem is he could do that before. Now, if I found somebody who couldn't walk and said, rise up and walk, that would mean something to him. You are forgiven. You haven't done anything against me. Forgiveness only means something when you've done something against me. Oh, God would never forgive me. I'm unworthy of that. <laughs> the fact that you are unworthy is why you need forgiveness. Are we correlating here the stinking lies of the devil? You are unworthy. You are not unwanted. What good is a gospel of hope without someone who's hopeless? What good is sight without somebody who's blind? What good is a gospel that brings light without somebody who's in darkness? What good is a gospel who brings, that brings pardon without someone who's guilty? You tell the devil to be quiet. I am unworthy, but I am not unwanted. God still wants, God still can, God still will save, fill, and use you. Even though you are an earthen vessel. Because you are an earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power may be of him and not of us. Church, I wish you would just know how much God loves you. In spite of what you've done. 
Do you realize how much God loves you? I came across this, this poem and I needed its message. It says this, you've owned your fear and all your self-loathing. You've owned the voices inside of your head. You've owned your shame and the reproach of your failures. It's time to own your belovedness. You've owned the mess that you see in the mirror. You've owned the lies that you're just not enough. You've been so blinded by all your comparing, it's time to own your belovedness. You've owned your past and how it's defined you. You've owned everything everybody else says. It's time to hear what your father has spoken. It's time to own your belovedness. He says, you're mine. I smiled when I made you. I find you beautiful in every way. My love for you is fierce and unending. I'll come to find you whatever it takes, my beloved. You know, sometimes we come to church and we get beaten down. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. And church, you are. You are and so much more and you know it. Every now and then we need to take all of that into account and remember God still loves us anyway. And he still can use you anyway. If he's going to use you, he's got to fill you. If he's going to fill you, he needs to save you. So who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to Satan and put a period? Or are you going to listen to Jesus and put a comma? Are you going to walk out of here? I'm unworthy. Je Jesus and Satan say the same thing. You are unworthy. Jesus continues where Satan stops. I am unworthy, but I'm not unwanted. My God is so great. I wonder what he could do with me. You should see it. How many of you say I'm saved? I know for sure that Jesus is my savior. I know for a Bible reason, if I were to die today, I would go to heaven. Raise your hand. Put your hands back down. How many of you would say, the devil has come up to me at some point and told me God can't use me? How many of you? And here's what you think, is it not? If I could just go back. If I could just go back and undo that. Some of you, it's only one thing, one dumb thing, one dumb day, one dumb decision that you could go back to that started this spiral. If I could just go back to that day and undo it, I would think God could use me. I would think, here's what you would have to say, I would think I'd be worthy at that point if I could just go back and undo it. Let me tell you two truths, saved person, and then I'm gonna to get to those of you who couldn't raise your hand. Let me tell you two truths, saved person. When the devil comes back and tries to convince you, oh, if you could just go back and undo that. First of all, if you could go back to that day and undo it, you need to understand you would be no more worthy 
to be used today than you would be had you never done that before. You would be no less unworthy if you could go back and change that. You were unworthy before you did it. You are not unworthy because you did it. You were unworthy before you did it. So that's truth number one. Even if you could go back and change it, it would not make you any more worthy to be saved, filled, or used. Here's truth number two. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that means? In God's eyes, you never did it. If Jesus were to walk in this room and you've gotten it right, you could look at him and say, Jesus, do you remember that day? And he'd say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have removed it from you as far as the east is from the west. I can't remember what you've done. I can't remember what happened to you. So in that case, guess what? You have a time machine. Congratulations. When you confess your sins, you can go back and undo it. But guess what? It doesn't make you any more worthy. So we are starting today attacking this lie that Satan has told you that you are unworthy. Yes, you are, but you're not what? I am unworthy, but I'm not what? I am unworthy, but I'm not? You remember that. Next week, we're going to talk about I'm unworthy, but I'm not undone. I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. Now, for those of you, you couldn't raise your hand. You don't know that Jesus is your Savior. Listen, you're not worthy to be saved, but it doesn't mean you're not wanted. He will save you today so that he can fill you, so that he can use you. I just want to know, will you let the Lord save you? A little girl got saved at junior church one day, and she went home, said, Mom, I got saved today. And the mom asked, what did you do in order to get saved? And the, the little girl, in the innocency of a child, just thought for a little bit and said, Mom, I don't think I did anything. I just did the letting I just did the letting. How many of you would let God save you today? Let God use you today. And tell Satan to go home. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.